everyone. This is Whitney from Get the Pancake, a podcast for volleyball coaches. I am so excited for today's episode because I am going to be answering questions that you submitted through Instagram stories. Now, I received a ton of awesome questions. Now, I'm not going to be able to get through all of them today, but I did pick out four questions that I thought would benefit the most coaches that listen to this podcast. So I'm really excited to share my answers to these questions with you. Now, we need to keep in mind a couple of things. The first is that there's not a lot of room to ask a question through Instagram stories. So they are very broad and missing maybe details that coaches have about the situation. And then also, this is my opinion based on my years of experience and what I would do in the situation. I might be missing some key details, but I think broadly applied, these answers should work for most coaches or make sense to most coaches. So I don't suggest just blindly following anyone's advice ever. You have to take responses and apply it to your own situation. Maybe it's different than what I'm assuming, but on a broad level, again, I think a lot of these answers will help out a lot of you coaches out there. Okay, and the first question that I'm going to answer, we're already just going to go ahead and dive into the nitty gritty angry parent question. We'll just start out with that. So the question asked is, how do you handle angry, upset parents who you just can't seem to win over? Thank you for asking this question. Um, I'm actually really excited to answer it because, you know, I talk a lot about how I started coaching in 2008. So it's been about a decade since I started coaching and I've had plenty of teams where there were parents that didn't see eye to eye with me. And then a couple of instances where they were just downright frustrated with me. And I share that because I think it's really important not to sugarcoat this and just be completely honest with you. Not everyone is going to like you as a coach, no matter how much you think you're doing a great job. So for example, there are a ton of different coaching styles and not everyone will agree with every coaching style. I myself think that I am a very patient coach, a very approachable coach, and I don't think that I do anything that would upset someone, but throughout my career, there have been instances where parents did not agree with me, and on a couple of occasions, they let me know, and so I'll give you a couple of examples just to make it a little more clear what I experienced, and then just give some general advice. So one example, in my very first season of coaching, I had it felt like the entire family for one player didn't like me. Mom, stepmom, dad, stepdad, grandmother, just the whole family for whatever reason did not like me. And that can be really challenging, especially during your first season. I feel like that's when a lot of us make very simple mistakes because, you know, we're trying to figure it out as we go. And a lot of times there will be things that we learn last minute and then having to explain that to parents also last minute when they have entire family schedules that they need to work with, that can be extremely frustrating for them. So there were so many, <laughs> so many times that this family would get angry at me, call my director to complain about me. And that was just simply because it was my first season coaching. I didn't know exactly what to expect. 
I was at a new small club and so they were kind of working through everything too. You know, it is a learning process. You don't just come in knowing everything. And so if that is your situation where the parents are just frustrated with you because you don't know necessarily what's coming up or maybe you're having a hard time communicating what's going on, you can explain it to that family and I would recommend face-to-face email. I try to avoid during confrontations because not only do you get a false sense of righteousness in most instances when you're typing out, you know, here's why you're wrong and this is why I'm right. Um, Try to avoid email because it's so easy to point blame and not have an actual conversation. You're more just dumping your emotions through the keyboard out at someone and they're going to do it back to you. So in person, you can actually, you know, read reactions and have a conversation and work through something. So if it is just because of inexperience, just having that conversation, it's probably going to be uncomfortable. There's no way around it. If you have a conversation with someone explaining, you know, this is my first season coaching. I'm so sorry that you're getting this information last minute. I'm doing my best to stay on top of it. You know, explain why you're sorry, but then also have some sort of a solution for how you're going to avoid it in the future. So don't say I'm going to try harder because that, you know, that doesn't mean anything. Let's say you missed the deadline for applying to a tournament. And so now your team is not able to go to a tournament. This is probably for club ball. So you missed a tournament registration deadline go into the meeting and say, you know, I've made sure that our team's registered for every tournament for the rest of the season. You know, calm those worries that you don't know what you're doing by showing them that you've kind of made up for that small mistake and maybe reach out to more experienced club coaches or your director. Just kind of do a review of what's coming up so that you don't miss anything. Again, if it's your first season coaching, you're probably going to have something like that happen. There are ways to minimize that risk but even in your third fourth fifth season there will be things that come up that you're not expecting so if it's something that's unexpected that families are mad at you for just apologize do your best to make sure that it doesn't happen in the future by taking action steps and move forward another example of a parent getting angry with you let's say could be playing time if a parent is mad at you because of playing time issues then we need to make sure that From the beginning of the season, expectations are set about what playing time is going to look like. So think about it from a parent's point of view. When they sign their child up to play volleyball, they assume that their child will be playing volleyball. And if they're not at practices, seeing all the touches that their daughter or son gets on the ball at practice, you know, usually they just see tournaments and if their kid is sitting out, then that is completely against their expectations for what they signed their child up for. Because they didn't just sign their child up to play volleyball, they also signed them up so they could come and watch their child play volleyball. Now, depending on the competitiveness of your club or school program, maybe playing time is equal, maybe it's not. But you need to be clear from the beginning what playing time expectations will be. And just know that every parent does come in expecting their child to play at least 50% of the time, if not all of the time. And we all know as coaches that unless you only have six people on your team, that's not possible. If a parent's angry because of playing time issues, sit down with them, explain playing time, 
explain it to the player first and make sure they understand how playing time decisions are made. But if that doesn't work and a parent is getting frustrated with you, let me tell you real quick what not to do. Do not change your coaching style just because of an angry parent. Now let's say, let's say that there's a parent expects her daughter to play more. Daughter has not earned playing time at the level that the parent is expecting. Do not start putting that player in more just to appease the parent. If the parent is already angry with you, it's likely that they'll get angry with you again. And if someone who does not deserve extra playing time is getting time on the court and taking playing time away from someone who has earned that playing time, then that player's parents are going to get angry with you as well. So I'm just going to give them hypothetical names. I always go with Sarah and Jessica. So let's say Sarah does not deserve playing time. Jessica has been working hard, has earned a starting role on the team, but she subs out when she gets to back row. Now let's say you're trying to appease Sarah's parents and you put Sarah in instead of Jessica. Not only are Jessica's parents and Jessica herself going to be confused and wondering what's going on, but Molly's parents, let's say Molly's your setter and Kate, who's your middle, their parents are going to say, wait a second, why isn't Jessica playing? Why is Sarah playing? And if it impacts your team's win-loss record, your team's chemistry, then you're going to start to have even more parents who are upset with you. So absolutely do not change your playing time situation just because someone is upset with you. You need to be able to handle that as a coach. Not everyone is going to like sitting on the bench and that's perfectly normal. Of course, you want these players to be competitive and want to be on the court, but they don't just get it by complaining about it. I could talk more on this. Actually, this could probably be an entire episode on its own, but I'm going to cut it there and just say that if you have parents who are upset with you, no matter what you're doing, do your best to remedy the situation, but just understand that maybe you weren't a good fit for their player and their player wasn't a good fit for your team. Obviously, make sure that you're giving the player a great experience despite family being upset with you. So if a dad comes up and yells at me, I'm not going to take it out on his daughter. I'm still going to treat the daughter with the same respect that I treat everyone. You know, she's still going to get the same playing time that she's earned, but there won't be changes unless the daughter steps up her effort or someone else starts slacking off, but everything has to be earned. Do not change your coaching style just because of a couple of complaints. It will come back to bite you, and you also have to realize that you may be doing it short term to appease someone, but in the long term, you're probably not going to stick with it. So then that parent's going to get angry again when you go back to your normal playing time. I hope that helps. Let's go ahead and get to the next question that I received. So the next question that I'm going to answer is, what do you do when your best setter is also your most effective hitter? I've had this situation myself, and so I'm going to explain what I did, why I think it worked, and then how we can apply it to everyone. So in my situation, I was coaching a 14 and under team. So my tallest player on the team, I think she was 5'9 in eighth grade. She came in clearly a great hitter with a lot of potential. She was very athletic, very humble, very coachable, awesome athlete to work with. My setter, you know, came in. She was setter for her middle school team, for her last club team. So she kind of expected 
that setting role. And she did play in that role for most of the season for me. But it got to a point where you could tell that her desire to improve wasn't at the same level as my middle. And my middle had beautiful hands. She could set the ball anywhere. and She had a natural setting talent. And it got to the point where I was so frustrated with my setter for her lack of effort in practice that I changed her to being my backup setter, essentially. And I moved my middle over and had her be my starting setter, which she did so well. I was so impressed with her. And then I moved a couple other people around um, and it actually worked really well. I really enjoyed this lineup, but it I was missing that middle hitter, kind of a force at the net. Same with like the blocking, but I still had her playing right front. So she was playing all the way around most of the time. So she still contributed in that way. And it's actually really interesting if your setter is refusing to set back. I recommend putting a huge hitter or her best friend at right side and all of the sudden she'll be able to set back a lot more often. That's just a side note. But what happened after I moved that middle hitter to now my starting setter position is at first my now backup setter was pouting and you could see that it really impacted her self-esteem because you know she identified as the setter for the team and now that wasn't her role anymore and actually the starting position had been taken by one of her best friends (laughs) so it really impacted her for a couple of weeks I would say through the club season but then she started trying (laughs) and it was incredible to watch her kind of fight for her position and she really developed her setting skills and put so much effort into practice that I had to put her back into that starting setting position and she had the drive now to work hard and be motivated and see what she was capable of. And then I was able to use my tall player and put her back in the middle where she really made a big impact on the team. So that's what I did in that situation, but let's look at it broadly. So if your most effective hitter is also your best setter, let's look at the two options. So if you leave her in a position where she's going to be hitting all of the time, how much does she impact the play of the team? So is she going to be hitting every single set? Is she going to be hitting... 50% of the sets, 30% of the sets, even if your setter is pushing most of her sets to that player, one, that's not going to be very effective for your team because then the other teams are going to know, okay, this set's going to middle 80% of the time. If this is a lower level team, higher level, they'll probably mix it up a little bit more. But if the quality of the set going to that hitter isn't the greatest, then that hitter is only going to be able to do so much with the set and maybe put some away maybe not now if we move that player into the setting position where they are the best setter on the team and so i'm assuming they're going to be putting up the best sets for every single hitter and they'll be able to mix up their sets maybe get to some passes that your other setter isn't able to then i would say your player is going to make an impact at a much higher level because they'll be putting sets in the right place for your hitters on a more consistent basis. When your hitters are going up for an attack and it's the same set over and over and over again, they're going to become more skilled attackers 
just because of the consistency alone. You might not see a huge change in hitting percentage right away, but over a month or two as the team adapts to the new setter, if she is truly the best setter on the team and is consistent with her sets and is able to think strategically and mix up her sets as well, then I think your team will be better off. So in my opinion, if you have someone who is an equally great hitter and setter, and they would be your top setter or top hitter, I would rather have them in the setting position if there's a noticeable difference between setters, just because they'll impact the play of your team at a much higher level. And yeah, that's my opinion. <laughs> I hope that helps you make your decision. Okay, the next question that we're going to talk about, number three of four, the next question is asking for setting drills for juniors to improve and be able to feel confident leading their team. Now, there's one setting drill that I really, really love to use, especially before tournaments or big matches. I usually use this a month or two into the season after everyone has had a chance to kind of feel out their position. You'll be using it sooner if it's school ball because uh, your season isn't that long, but maybe about three weeks into the season if it's high school, I would use it. Setters, what is going to make them confident? They are going to feel confident, in my experience, when they feel like a leader on the court and when they know that they are capable of accomplishing difficult tasks. The drill that I like to use is called setter versus setter, and we can use that in two different ways depending on kind of the mental toughness of your setters. So the traditional setter versus setter drill is where you have a lineup on each side. So you'll be scrimmaging, but we're not going to go from a serve because that slows everything down. So we'll either enter in down balls or free balls, again, depending on the level. I always recommend down balls if you can. It's a little more aggressive. We don't get tossed to very often in a game, but that's a side note. In setter versus setter, I'll set up lineups that are pretty competitive with one another. So you could do it to have a starting lineup versus substitutions, or you can have two equally matched lineups. That's what I would prefer to do, but it depends on your preference especially if we're aiming for setter confidence, equally matched would probably be better. But you assign a sequence for plays that the team must carry out and get a kill from in order to win the round. So for example, I'll just use very basic terms. Let's say we want the sequence to be a middle set, an outside set, and then a back set. So these are just going to be high sets to middle, then outside, and then back. Now you enter in a down ball to whichever team wins the rally, but they don't get to check off that they've completed a certain set until they get a kill from that attack. So let's say we hit a down ball across the net, they pass it up, setter goes to middle because that's the number one attack that we're going for, and middle hits it, but... On the opposite side, they're able to pass it up, set, hit from middle, middle gets a kill. So the first side would not progress to moving on to an outside set, and the second side would progress because they were able to put the ball away and get a kill. So it puts a lot of pressure on the hitters as well because now everyone knows that the second side is going to be going for an outside set, and the first side is still going for a middle set. 
it puts pressure on your setters, but it is also cool because it lets them think like there's some strategy because they're carrying out strategy. So they're mentally thinking about the play. But they also know that maybe if it's not an ideal pass to go to the middle, they can still set outside and keep the ball alive and win the rally so that they can get the next down ball or free ball. That's better than forcing a bad set to the middle and then losing the ball altogether. So I like to do usually three rounds um, of this and then I'll mix up the different sets that I'm asking my players to do. I'll also include back row attacks and maybe setter dumps or maybe a jump set will be required. But push your team to perform just a little bit past what you think they're capable of and then you can make some adjustments if it's not working out but you'll be really impressed by how much your setter steps onto the court and kind of controls everything because she's essentially in charge yes the hitters have to put the ball down but if the set isn't there you know it's it's not gonna work (laughs) so if your team let's say is a little more delicate and doesn't get inspired by competition between the two setters maybe you do have some drama between the two setters let's be real that happens it might be better to have two sides scrimmaging and just have one side that's going to complete the run of different sets so side a needs to get middle outside back and then side b is just there to play the ball out and return it And then you could do like a timed competition. So maybe your first lineup with your first setter completes the run of sets in six minutes. And then you switch lineups, switch setters, and then that side tries to beat that time. So it's a little less direct competition. But if you have some drama or it's a lower level and they're not as competitive yet, it's a good way to still build confidence in your setters without making anyone feel bad for being like on the losing team (laughs) and I know a lot of you coaches out there are probably cringing at that because I think a lot of us feel like you know that's just how the game is played there's winners and losers and you have to deal with it which is why I recommend the first one but if we're trying to build confidence we can take those competitive elements out until they're ready with their skills with their physical skills to work on mental skills. All right, and the last question that I'm going to answer today is how do you handle a player that constantly argues the decisions you make as a coach? This one is a tough one, but at the same time, it's very simple. If you have a player who is arguing with you, especially in front of the team, I just make them sit out. I've thought about this question a lot. I've put a lot of thought into it, and I'm trying to think of an instance where I wouldn't immediately make the player go and sit out, and I just can't think of one. If someone is going to blatantly argue with me and tell me that I'm wrong or disagree with my decisions, especially in front of the team, I just go sit out. I'm not going to deal with that. (laughs) I don't care if you are six years old or 17 years old. You can't disagree with your coach. The only time that I can think of where players have sort of outwardly disagreed with me as a coach is when I say, okay, we're going to do the butterfly drill. And then someone says, I don't want to do the butterfly drill. And then I say, all right, then go sit out. (laughs) And usually that will 
change their mind, I'll let them participate because they'll apologize. And then we'll move on and they won't ever do that again. But if someone is just flat out disagreeing with you or calling you out on your decisions, which they should not ever be doing, have a zero tolerance policy for that. And that might make some parents angry. I don't know why, but some parents think that their players should be allowed to do that without any consequences. And that's just not the case. Like the team doesn't work unless the coach is in charge. You can't have a player making decisions for the team. Now, you open yourself up to that if you ask for opinions by saying, you know, what game do you want to play or what should we do next? Then you're sort of letting players influence, which is fine on occasion. Sometimes I'll say like, okay, we have 20 minutes left. You guys want to play this game or this game and then let them pick because there's usually a favorite but I do that very rarely maybe once a month at most but not very frequently I usually will plan my own practices so I'm a very easygoing coach very laid back very patient but there are some things that I just do not tolerate and that is one of them so although it kind of goes against my nature to yell at a player or discipline them because I usually do have very well-behaved players on my team. If someone's going to do that, just make them sit out. Sit out for the next drill, so usually 10 to 15 minutes. They'll probably just sit there and pout. They are definitely not allowed to be on their phone while they're sitting out, FYI. So make sure that that doesn't sneak its way out of their backpack or bag that they brought with them. And then you can ask them, you know, are you ready to come back into practice? Or are you ready to apologize and come back and be with your team? And then you'll get an apology and they'll feel embarrassed and it'll probably ruin the vibe for the practice, but that's what happens when players step out of line like that. So just don't tolerate it. And if it happens over and over again, you need to have a meeting with the parents, have a sit down talk with the player, and let her know or him know that if that continues, then they're just not going to be involved in practice at all. So they can make that decision if they want to come to practice and sit on the bench the whole time, they can, or they can go along with what you say to do as a coach and they can participate. If the parents have an issue with that, you might have to talk to the parents if it continues and let your director know if that's something that's happening frequently because parents will probably go to the director if their child is coming to practice and then sitting out for a majority of the time. But don't be afraid to have them sit out at tournaments or in games either because, again, if the player is disagreeing with you, that's ruining your entire strategy, it's ruining the team chemistry, and you're just not going to be able to be successful if you have a player that's fighting against everything that you're trying to accomplish. Sit them out, they will learn their lesson. Okay, those are the four questions that I wanted to answer today. Again, those came from Instagram stories. If you're not following me already, just search for at get the pancake. I ask a lot of questions through my stories too, so make sure to check those out on a regular basis. Again, just as a reminder, this is what I would do in all of these situations. You may apply it to your team a little bit differently, but it's always great. I know I always enjoy hearing the opinions of different coaches in different situations. So if you want to make a comment on any of my responses or if you want to answer any of the questions in a different way, I'll post them in the closed Facebook group, Volleyball Coaches Corner. 
Just search for Get the Pancake and then you can join the group from there. It is closed, so you have to request to join it, but I like it better that way. It's kind of a little community of coaches. I think we're at 250 coaches right now, and people are posting all the time and helping each other out. I absolutely love it. So if we can build on that, I think that would just benefit us all even more. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in next week's episode.